Well, I want to ask you guys to remain standing as we go to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Yes, Exodus. Exodus 15, 22. Don't be scared. It's a good word. <laughs> Follow along with me as we go to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 through 27. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statue of regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you would give earnest heed to my voice, the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there besides the waters. Let's pray. Father, I just ask in Jesus' name today, Lord, as we've gathered here in church, that you would bless this word to our lives and to our hearts, Lord. Father, use me to speak your word and your truth here now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You guys can have a seat. As I started reading this scripture, the Bible says they came to a place called Mara. And the word Mara in the Hebrew literally means bitter. So the Israelites, they literally went to a bitter place. And I want to speak to you this moment in this beautiful Sunday morning on the title of What to Do When Life Turns Bitter. And I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I've seen many people follow God, trust in Jesus, serve Him faithfully. I've seen them go through great times where God is just evidently working and they see the goodness of God. And I've seen those same people their lives completely turned upside down. And there are moments in life that you're going to see the goodness of God and then life turns bitter. And maybe you're in that season in your life right now where life has gotten bitter. What do you do when you are a Christ follower? What do you do when you're believing in the goodness of God? What do you do when you've seen God work in your past, but now it seems like God has forgotten you? And now it seems like life has turned bitter and you just don't understand what God is trying to do, let alone what God is trying to teach you. This is exactly what's happening in this passage of Scripture we just read. You know, everyone focuses on Moses and the Red Sea and when the Red Sea opened up and how God made a way 
we tend to look at that passage of Scripture and celebrate the deliverance of God, the goodness of God, the miracles of God, and we often preach that text and we say God's going to make a way when it's impossible, when you've reached a dead end, and that's where usually the messages end, but we never really talk about what happened after. You see, the Israelites, they were enslaved for 400 years. And they cried out to God. And God brought Moses. And Moses led them out of Egypt. And they went to the Red Sea. And Moses just prayed to God. And God said, put your staff in the water. And all of a sudden, we all know this story. We've grown up with this story. We've taught on this story. The Red Sea opens up. God makes a way, they go through the Red Sea, it closes up, it kills all the Egyptians that put them in bondage, they saw God work, and as a result, after this, Miriam got a tambourine out, she wrote a worship song, the Bible says, and all of them started singing to the Lord. They all started singing of God's goodness. They all started singing how God delivered them from their problems, how God made a way through the Red Sea, how God is faithful, how God is merciful, how God is good. And all of them were filled with this enthusiasm because they just witnessed God do the impossible. They just saw God work an amazing miracle. So they're worshiping, they're thankful, and now from that moment on, they're believing that God is with them, God is for them, God is good, God's going to do great things. They're excited about their future, they're excited about their lives, they're excited about their freedom, they felt the closeness and the power of God in their life, and then something happened. There's a problem. As they're going through the wilderness, the Bible says after three days, they find no water. Now God just delivered them from a water problem, did He not? God just delivered them from a water problem, did He not? And now they're facing another water problem. They have none. For three days, They're tired. For three days, they're lacking. For three days, they're thirsty. And found nothing. Now, I want you to stay with me here because listen, God just delivered them from a massive, impossible water problem, a dead end. They just saw three days ago the goodness of God. They saw the miracle of God working. But now after three days... They're worried because they're trying to find water and they can't find any. They're trying to find water and there's no water in sight. And day one goes by and they said, well, maybe tomorrow we'll find something. And then tomorrow comes and they have nothing. And now there's a shortage and now they don't know what's going to happen. And now they're thinking, okay, maybe tomorrow, the third day, we know that God's going to do something, but they're not finding anything. And maybe in my imagination, worry sets in. And now they're trying to think, what are we going to do? How are we going to get water? We need water to survive. How are we going to get out of this one? And they're kind of nervous. They're wondering, God, why aren't you doing anything? God, why aren't you helping us like you did just three days ago? And all of a sudden, there it is. 
from a distance, they see water. From a distance, they see a lake of water. And the Bible doesn't say this, but we have to know by the context of it that at that moment, I'm sure that they thought their problems were over. At that moment, they were filled with joy and excitement and happiness. At that moment, they must have been worshiping again and say, oh, we knew God was going to do it. We knew God was going to help us. We knew God was going to make it. We knew God was with us. Yes, the same God that helped us three days ago. Hallelujah. He's here right now, everyone. Look, there's water. And they were all overwhelmed with joy. And when they got to the water that they thought was the answer to their problems, when they got there, they realized they couldn't drink it because the water was bitter. Church, do you feel now their joy going to sadness? Can can you really feel? Because I got in this story and I was mad. Because I'm thinking, wait a minute, I thought this was it. I thought this was going to happen. I thought God came through, but it's just bitter. What are we going to do with this, God? We can't drink this. We're right where we started. We still have no water. And now they're sad. And now they're disappointed. And now they're confused. Maybe they're even angry and frustrated because just three days ago, God split open the sea. Just three days ago, God did the impossible. Just three days ago, we know we saw a miracle. Just three days ago, God answered our prayers. Just three days ago, He delivered. Three days ago, He provided. Three days ago, He was with us. And now, it's bitter. Let me ask you this question. What do you do When life turns bitter on you. What's this church going to do when life turns bitter? What are you going to do as a believer when your life turns bitter? See, Mara, let me tell you what Mara represents. Mara represents the things that did not turn out the way you thought. Can I get a witness this morning? Because remember, they saw Mara from a distance and they said, oh, we're saved, we're great, God is good. And when they got there, they saw the truth. They saw how bitter it was. And I don't have to ask, I know a lot of you here this morning, you've had a Mara experience. Life has turned bitter on you. And the thing you thought was the right one, the thing you thought was good, the thing you thought was the answer, ended up turning out to be your headache. Bitter. Disappointing. And you can remember that you were excited, but now you're frustrated. 
You can remember you had joy, but now you're sad because you're saying, it's not what I thought. It's not what I expected. And all of us have to understand that life turns bitter for those who know Jesus and even those that don't. Life will turn bitter on you. And that's when you have to still believe in the goodness of God. And all of us have a moral experience. Let me give you some examples of moral experiences. But maybe your moral moment was your marriage. Do you remember when you met her? And you just fell in love and you made all these cute little kisses and promises and, and you dated her, you gave her flowers and she treated you right and respected you and she just loved on you and you guys were so close and you couldn't wait to get married and you thought, I found the one, this is it, the search is over and you got married because you thought that once you were married, the happily ever after was going to be real and you said to yourself, that is it, I'm going to be happy happy now, we're going to be together, we're always going to laugh, we're always going to be romantic, we're always going to be intimate, it's going to be amazing until you fast forward years later and now she's bitter and now he's bitter and he's angry all the time and she's always complaining all the time and you don't spend time together anymore and people say, well, it's not what I thought. It's hard to be married. It's difficult to be with this person. It's not what I thought. Why? Because that's Mara. When I started this church, that was my Mara experience. And I said, this is going to be great. We're going to be one of the only churches in Hialeah that speaks English. We're going to reach the second and third generation. People are going to fall in love with God and His Word. We're going to see lives change. And 13 years later, I'm like, oh my gosh, if someone would have told me what starting a church was like. If someone would have told me what people in church were like. See, that's a moral experience. They didn't tell me this in seminary. But life turns bitter. You're raising your children. They love you. They're holding your hands. They call you papi and mommy. And they're, they're just all, they just give you little cute pictures and of you and you're their hero. And then they turn to teenagers and Mara comes out of them. And raising a child is not what you thought it was going to be. It just turned bitter. Your job can turn bitter. It's not the career I thought. It's not what I wanted. Sometimes in life you have to believe that life turns bitter. And it's in these moments it is hardest to understand God. When the situation turns better, bitter and you thought that it was going to be better, you thought it was going to be this way, you thought it was going to go your way, but life just turned bitter. Let me tell you why it's hard to understand God when life turns bitter on you. Because just three days ago, He answered your prayer. Just three days ago to the Israelites, He did a miracle. 
Just yesterday, just three days ago in our past, we saw God split the sea. We saw Him provide. He proved Himself to us. But why isn't He doing it now? You see, it's hard to understand God when life turns bitter because you know He can do it. You know God can heal. But He hasn't. You know God can just wink and provide. You know God can just speak and deliver. You know that God is able, that nothing is impossible. You've seen Him work in your life in the past, but why isn't He doing it now? That's why it's hard to understand God. Because you know He can get you through it. You know that He's able. But He's not. You're thinking, where's the God of yesterday? Where's the God that I felt? Where's the God that I witnessed? Where's the God that I heard? Where's the God that did the impossible? Where is that God? Lord, where are you? And here's what's interesting. The Bible says they went to the desert of Shur. And the word Shur in the Hebrew literally means wall. And that spoke to my heart. Because they're serving God. They're believing for better. They're believing for the promised land. Instead, they got a wall. Church, have you ever hit a wall in your life? A wall is when you're seeing no progress. A wall is when it feels like God has stopped working. And many people come to this church and they've hit a wall. Maybe you've hit a financial wall. And you're saying, God, I just don't see your provision. But things are getting more expensive. Maybe you're hitting an emotional wall. And you're saying, God, I'm just not doing any better with these emotions. And, I, and I'm seeing no progress, God. And I've been praying and asking you to help me with this anger. Help me with this depression. Help me with this bitterness. Help me with this sadness, Lord. But I hit a wall. Maybe you've just hit a wall with your family. And nothing's changing. You see, what this passage of Scripture shows me, and what I hope it shows you this morning, is life changes. And there are seasons you see the goodness of God. And there are seasons, God, it's just like you pray and He answers. You pray and He answers. And God just makes it happen. And you see the impossible be made possible. And God is evidently working on your behalf. There are seasons like that. But see, there are other seasons, however, that you're serving the same God of yesterday, but today you hit a wall. And this is why I feel the church lies to you. 
Because we are pressured to tell people that God is good and God is faithful and God is a provider and God's a miracle worker and He is. But there are moments in life you hit a wall. And you're looking back at all the things God did. You're looking back at the answered prayers. You're looking back at the testimonies, the miracles. And you're standing here today and you're saying, where is that God? What do you do when life turns bitter? What do you do when you hit a wall? Can we be honest today in church? We do verse 24. The people grumbled. It doesn't say the people prayed, Lord, we cried out to you. The people worshiped, the people believed, the people trusted in God anyway. The Bible gives it for what it is, and it's real and it is raw. The people of God grumbled. Now, grumbling is different than complaining. There's a difference between grumbling and complaining. Let your pastor teach you this morning. I'm tired of people saying, you're a Christian, you shouldn't complain. You shouldn't complain. The Bible says don't complain. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Translation used the word complaint, but the Bible says do not grumble. There's a difference between complaining and grumbling. And if you look at your spouse and say, oh, you're always complaining, she's not wrong. He's not wrong. Guilty anyone? Here's the difference between complaining and grumbling. Complaining is when you voice your dissatisfaction in something. When you're troubled by something or even anguished. Your your complaint is when you share it for the hope of changing it and improving it. There is nothing wrong, evil, or sinful about that. For example, your spouse has a right to complain to you. I know that this isn't popular. But your wife, your husband, has a right to sit down with you and say, honey, we need to talk. I'm really not happy about this. I think this can improve. For example, you can say, honey, I'm overwhelmed with the kids and the house and the stress and I just need your help cleaning up more. I need you to stop leaving mugs in the sink and I need you to clean up more and help me out more. You know, I get it. That's not a complaint against you. That's a complaint about a problem. Your spouse has the right to complain without punishing them. You go to a restaurant, your burger comes back raw. Are you going to say, no, I'm going to eat it because I'm a Christian. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to be thankful I got food anyway. No, you're going to bring it back and say, I'm dissatisfied with this. It needs to be better. Thank you. Complaining is not wrong. You can complain about our country. It doesn't make you ungrateful. You can call your representatives, your senators. You can write letters and complain. That doesn't mean you're less faithful. You can complain. 
Now let's talk about grumbling though. The word grumbling literally means to growl. Here's what grumbling is. <laughs> grumbling is different because grumbling is when you are just clearly dissatisfied, clearly in anguish, clearly troubled, but you don't want to communicate it. You just want to demonstrate it in a wrong attitude. You just want to demonstrate it by tearing people down. By being harsh and rude and negative. And what God says is you can complain, but you cannot grumble. Because complaining seeks a solution. Grumbling seeks to tear down. Psalms 142, 1-2 says this. David said, I cried out loud with my voice to the Lord. I made my supplications with my voice to the Lord. And look at verse 2. I poured out my what? I poured out my complaint before Him. And I declared my trouble before Him. Now God doesn't say, David, I thought you had faith. David, you shouldn't complain. David, you should trust me. No, God says when you are dissatisfied, when you are troubled, when you are hurt, I want you to bring it before me. I want you to complain because when you surrender that to me, you are seeking improvement. You are seeking change. God says you can complain all you want. Just don't let your complaining turn to grumbling. And the problem is today, we don't have a lot of complainers in our world. We have a lot of grumblers. People that just want to walk around through life with bad attitudes, negative, fault-finding, criticizing, tearing down. That's what God says, I don't want my children to do. Let me give you an example. The same spouse that complains to her husband and says, Honey, I need more help in the house. Honey, I just need you to maybe shut off the TV earlier and help me put the kids down. And, it, and at least that gives me more time to do this and more time for myself. I would really appreciate that, honey. That's complaining. Now let me tell you, that same wife can complain, but she could also turn to grumbling. She can say, look at him. He never helps me. Look at him in the TV like everything's good. You know what? You are so inconsiderate. I can't believe I married you. You're lazy. You only think about yourself and I can't believe you disgust me that's grumbling because you did nothing to communicate to fix the solution but everything to communicate to tear them down you treated them harshly most people when they drive they don't complain they grumbled Someone just cuts you off. You don't say, excuse me, sir, I would really appreciate it if you stayed on your lane in the future. Thank you, God bless. No, you honk your horn, you hold it because it feels good. Don't lie. And you yell at them and you curse at them and you what? what's the purpose? Let me just turn up my worship music. The Israelites did not complain. 
they crumbled. Grumbling is an attitude. Have you ever met a grumbler? It's in your face. It's in their words. It's how they treat you. They're doing nothing to fix the problem. They just want to tear things down. Philippians 2.14 says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. God says in every area of your life, not a grumble out of you. Do all things. Do everything. How many things do you do in a day? You get up, you take care of the kids, you go to work, you come back to work, you drive, you do dinner, you do it. And God says, you know, all those things you do, not a grumble out of you. God hates it. The people, they went, when life turned bitter on them, they just grumbled. God hates it. And I started thinking, God, why is it that you hate grumbling, but accept complaining? And here's why. Because when you grumble, and you're not even trying to fix the problem or change it, you're just fighting about it and angry about it and frustrated about it. When you're grumbling, you're expressing, first of all, distrust towards God. Did you know that? By the Israelites grumbling, they were demonstrating to God, we don't trust you with this problem. So you, church, you go ahead and all you want. Every time you growl, you are telling God, I don't trust you. Grumbling also not only expresses distrust towards God, but grumbling expresses dissatisfaction towards God. Grumbling is not a humble cry for God to help. Grumbling is a way God hears you saying, you've done something wrong. This is not right. This is unfair. This is not how it's supposed to be. And every time you grumble, you are telling God that your way is better than His. And the number one reason grumbling is something God hates. And it's so dangerous. is because grumbling causes you to forget the goodness of God. Just three days ago, did God not deliver them from the Red Sea? Did God not bury their past? Did God not deliver them and made a way from the impossible? Did God not do something amazing just three days ago? But they're acting like it never happened. And can I tell you, if you're going to survive this life, you have to remember the goodness of God and what He's done in your past. 
You have to remember, oh, I remember when God answered that prayer, and if God answered that prayer then, He could answer this one now. Or I remember when God provided then, He'll provide now. And I remember when God healed me then, He can heal me right now. See, the devil wants you to forget the goodness of God. He wants you to forget the past when it comes to the goodness of God. And that's what happened. Just three days ago, God did miracles, but they're acting like He didn't. And it's important that you always remember the goodness of God in your life because that's what gets you through those seasons when God is quiet. But when you grumble, you're forgetting the past and the goodness and the greatness of our God. And when you forget the greatness and the goodness of your God, it invites fear to torment you. It invites worry to plague you. And it causes doubt to destroy you. Can I tell you that when a believer lives in fear, worry, and doubt, it's because they have forgotten the goodness of God? And they live with doubt. That's what happened to the Israelites. When life turned bitter on them, they started doubting. They were afraid. They were worried. They were questioning God. They forgot the God of three days ago. And there's a lot of us today living in doubt. You watch the way our country is headed, and now you're doubting. You're seeing the shortages, and now you're doubting. You're seeing the rise in inflation, and now you're doubting. You're seeing all the bad news, and now you're doubting, and you're questioning what's going to happen, what's next, what if we don't make it, what's God going to do, how are we going to do this, how are we going to figure this out, and God is yelling at you, uh, do you remember? Come on, show me your hands if you can remember a time in your life God did something amazing. So why would you dare live in fear, worry, and doubt right now? And many people doubt what God is going to do because they forgot what God has done. The reason you doubt about what God is going to do is because you forget what God has done. Maybe life has turned bitter for you. And you just want to grumble. And you just feel like telling God, God, this isn't right, this isn't fair, you're always making it hard on me, God. But we have to read the story for what it is. It's truth. Grumbling did nothing to move God in their life. Grumbling did nothing to change the situation. Grumbling did nothing to get them out of their problem. Grumbling will do nothing for you. And maybe you're forgetting the God of yesterday. You're forgetting the God that delivered you in the past. The God that made a way when it was impossible. 
Can I tell you something today, church? You still serve that same God. That God that answered your prayer then is still God. That God that delivered you then is still in control today. When life is good, God is good. When life is bad, God is still good. That God that healed you yesterday can still heal you again today. God says, I want you to remember me when life turns bitter. I want you to remember me when life doesn't turn out the way you thought. I want you to remember me when I'm quiet. I want you to remember me when I'm not doing it your way. I want you to remember me when life is at its hardest. I don't want you living with grumble. I don't want you living with fear. I don't want you living with worry. I don't want you living with doubt. You have to remember the God of yesterday so you can make it today and to the promises of God tomorrow. You have to remember I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the same. But there are moments that the hand of God, His power, and His provision, there are moments that that is evident in your life. And then there are moments that it turns bitter. You know, when I, when I look at pictures of our church, when I was younger, I know, it's changed. And when I remember what we went through, and when I remember how, how God just, we prayed and it felt like God just provided a place for us to worship and God gave us provisions and God increased us financially and God was growing. And I said, man, I remember when God was just, it felt like God was right in front of me. And then I remember when turned, it turned. And I'm saying, God, it's not the same. It's harder. It's a struggle. But that's when I have to believe that God is the same. Because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yesterday, it felt like God was good. Today, God, it feels like you're gone. And God says, no. The devil has lied to you. I'm the same. Come on, say that with me. He's the same. He's the same. Sometimes God is evident. Sometimes life turns to bitterness. We go from praise to panic. We hit a wall. Why? Look at verse 25 with me. We'll finish with this. He cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. He threw it into the waters. The waters became sweet. 
And there he made for them a statue and regulation. And there he tested them. He tested them. And I finally understood it. God did the impossible at the Red Sea. God split it open. They walked through it. He brought it down. He destroyed the Egyptians. God did amazing. And when they saw the goodness of God, someone busted out the tambourine when Pentecostal, they all wrote songs and worship. And they're like, yeah, God is good. Yeah, let's worship. God is good. And then all of a sudden, after three days of no water and everything turned bitter, I asked myself, Mara is here. Why is Miriam, why she put the tambourine away? Why aren't they still worshiping? Wait, why, why aren't you still praising God? Why, why aren't you still thanking Him? Oh, it's because life turns bitter. And there's no water. And we're not going to make it. And we don't understand why God three days ago, He got us through the biggest water problem and now we have another water problem and He's not doing anything. Do you think it's coincidence that God delivered them from a water problem only to bring them to another water problem? No. It was a test. It was a test. And in the Bible, the word test literally means to prove the quality of something. Can I tell you, church? Anyone could thank God and worship and praise Him when life is good. Anyone. I'm saying if the Red Sea just split open for us, this church would have a revival service. And we'd be overwhelmed and excited and say, man, God is good and He delivered and He helped us. But God wants to know, will you praise me at Mara? Oh, no, no. That Red Sea, that's easy for you to worship me. It's easy for you to thank me there. It's easy for you to be enthusiastic about me because I just did the impossible. But what I want to know, are you still going to trust me? Are you still going to praise me? Are you still going to worship me at Mara? I want to know, are you faithful when life is bitter? Will you trust me when it didn't turn out the way you thought? Are you still going to believe in my greatness when life is not going the way you thought it would? And the Lord was testing how genuine their faith and trust was. God will test you before He can bless you. And right now, life might turn bitter. But at that moment, God is watching you and He's saying, I want you to see for yourself what's in your heart. When you go through a test, your faith is being tested. 
Not to show God how genuine it is, because God knows all things. He's trying to get that to be revealed to you. Because you can say right now, church, I love God, I trust Him, I believe in Him, and all of that is good, but see, God wants to know, will you say that when you're at Mara? Will you say that when life turns bitter and hopeless and scary? Are you still going to trust God when life gets hard? Are you still going to trust God when He's quiet? Are you still going to trust God? See, but the Israelites, they failed because they forgot the God of yesterday. And He said, the same God that got you out of the Red Sea can get you out of this right now. But it's a test. It reveals. You say, well, why would God put me through a test? Because a test will reveal, first of all, it reveals who God is. And sometimes the greatness of God is demonstrated through the darkest of trials. Not only does a test reveal who God is, but a test will reveal who you are. Who are you when life is hard? Who are you when life is not going your way? And not only is a test something that reveals God and it reveals who you are, but a test will also reveal to others who God is. And this seems unfair to me, but sometimes God will put you through Mara so that someone that doesn't know God will see the goodness of God through you. And God will test us as a church. God will test us as a ministry. Because when life turns bitter, that's when God wants to know, do you trust me? So let me close it with this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, God, I want to see the God of yesterday. I want to see the God that delivered me, that healed me. I want to see that God that did the impossible. Well, Pastor, it seems like yesterday that God of yesterday is not here today. Because right now I'm faced with things that are hard. I'm faced with things that are impossible. Right now I'm faced with things that I just don't know what I'm going to do. That's scary. Because those Israelites, they left Egypt saying, okay, He's God, we're going to follow Him, we're going to trust Him. Then the Red Sea opened up and when they said, man, I'm so glad we trusted Him. Look, He delivered us, He helped us, He got us through. And three days later, it turned bitter. God said, now is a test. Are you going to keep going by holding on to yesterday's miracle? Knowing I'm the same today. Or are you going to just fold in and say, no, it's over. It's helpless. 
Let's go back to verse 25, church. Verse 25. God does something interesting because maybe you're here today and you're saying, God, my life has turned bitter. And I remember those good old days. I remember when I was happy and joyful and you were just proving yourself to me. And I remember when you were answering my prayers, but God, it just, it just turns. And it's bitter now. What do you do when life turns bitter? Moses did something interesting. Remember, the Israelites, they grumbled. They had bad attitudes. They forgot the God of yesterday. It's still with them today. But Moses was different. And Moses said, you know, I, I'm not going to just grumble. I'm not going to just have a bad attitude that demonstrates to God I don't trust Him. I'm not just going to pretend like yesterday didn't happen. So Moses did something that some of you here today have to do. And he cried out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. But this is what I don't get. I wish the Bible said he cried out to the Lord and the Lord changed the water again and the Lord did a miracle and the Lord brought water and they, everyone drank and everyone was happy and the Lord came through. That's not what the Bible says. Yes, the water changed. But when Moses cried out to God, it says he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. Now let's, let's stop pretending this makes sense. But can you imagine now, and I want to preach to you this morning, because Moses cried out to God and said, Lord, we need water. We're tired. We're thirsty. We're lacking. We're going to die in this desert. If you don't do something now, it's over. Because the human body cannot survive three days without water. Have you ever been there? Not water. But Lord, if you don't do something now... It's over. Or am I crazy? If you don't do something now, we're giving this up. God, you got to do something. And he cried out to the Lord. And he showed him a tree. Can you imagine if you cried out to God? I want you to think about the biggest problem you have right now. And imagine now you cry out to God and you say, Lord, I'm going to listen to Pastor David. I'm crying out, Lord. I need a miracle. I need provision. I need you to do something. And God opens up your eyes and he says, look at a tree. Would you then say, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. I needed a tree. God showed him a tree. 
He showed him a tree. He showed him a tree. And I prayed and said, Lord, this don't make any sense. Where's the water? I don't need a tree. I need water. God said, look at the tree. Cut it down, Moses. Throw it in the water. Moses cuts that tree down. Moses throws it in the bitter water. The water turns sweet. Why? Because God wanted you to know that if you're here this morning and your life has turned bitter and you feel like grumbling and you're living with fear, worry, and doubt and you're at the end and you're saying, God, if you don't do anything now, it's over. God, if you don't act now, we quit. Lord, if you don't do a miracle right now, the devil wins. Lord, you got to do something right now. And you go to bed afraid. You wake up afraid. You live your life discouraged. You live your life with doubt. You live your life with worry. What am I going to do? And what if? And what if God doesn't do it? And what if this happens? And worst case scenario, it's going to happen. And oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And God said, would you look at that tree? How is that going to help us today? Because Jesus was crucified on the tree. And he was slain and cut down. And he was thrown into the bitterness of our sin. And on the third day, he rose. Just like on the third day, this water changed and transformed. And God told Moses, I want you to look at that tree because I want the future generation to know that that tree represents my son who's going to die on the cross for their sins. And when he rises again on the third day, like that water on the third day, it's going to turn, it's going to change, and everything's going to be made great again. And everything's going to be made whole again. And something sweet is going to come out of this. See, you're thinking, well, Pastor, how does that help me? With my problem. Because in Romans 8, 31 through 32, it says this. It says... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, right now, hold that verse. Go back, go back, go back. Hurry up, go back. What shall we say about these things? See, how many things are you guys facing right now? One, show me your hands. One big thing, two, three, big things, crazy things, impossible things. God says, what shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right now it feels like, God, you're not for me. But the Bible is teaching us that God is for us. Even when life comes against you, even if everything turns bitter on you, 
You have to believe that God is for you. It might feel like God's against you. It might feel like the world is against you. It might feel like your children are against you. The finances are against you. Your health is against you. Your future is against you. Everything's coming up against me. And I don't know if I'm going to make it. How do I know I'm going to make it? How do I know I'm going to make it? How do I know I'm going to make it? How do I know God is for us? How do I know? Verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? You know what God says here? When everything's fighting against you and you're questioning whether I'm for you, I want you to look at the tree. I want you to remember my son, who I gave up to die for your sins. And if I were willing to do that for you, am I not willing to do this for you? And if the devil has you living with fear and worry, always look to the tree, always remember the cross, because as Jesus Christ died for you, you better believe he will provide for you. And in verse 27, Moses saw that tree, threw it into the water, the water became sweet, but that's not the good part. Right after, they came into the elm where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. 12 springs. Now one spring is an endless flow. One spring was a miracle. One spring was enough. And God threw in 12. Why? Because he said, you're crying over a puddle when I'm ready to give you 12 springs. See, God always has a plan. God always has more. God's goodness will always prevail. But can you survive the puddle? Can you survive the bitter times? Can you survive the test? Because right after that, God provided more. And I believe there's more for your life than what you're going through right now. And what you're going through right now is just a test. So let me pray for you this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed today. You're here this morning. And life has turned bitter on you. And you're saying, God, it seems like the person, the God that you were yesterday is not here with me today. Lord, life has turned bitter. And I don't know who this message was for this morning. But you're going through a test. And God will prove himself to you. But you need to prove yourself to him. Saying, Lord, I will trust you in the bitter times.
I will worship you in the bitter times. I will thank you in the bitter times. I will believe in your goodness in the bitter times. And I'm not just going to praise you when life is good and you're coming through. I'm going to praise you when life turns on me. And maybe you've been living with fear and worry and doubt because you are doubting today because you have forgotten the God of yesterday. And it is time for you to tell the Lord, forgive me for grumbling. And Lord, I believe you're still working miracles. I believe you still have a plan. This is just a test. Let's all stand to our feet. I want to pray for everyone here today. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, for some here, life has turned bitter. And what they thought and what they believed for was not what they expected. Lord, there are some here today that have experienced your miracles, have experienced the Red Sea moments where you just made a way and came through and did the impossible. Lord, it's funny how life can just turn so quickly and we forget who you are. We forget what you did. So, Father, forgive us for our worries and our doubts and our grumbling. Help us to always look at the truth. Because God, in our sin, you provided Jesus for us to die on the cross for our sins and make a way for us to be with you in heaven. And if you can make a way for us in eternity, you can make a way for us now here on earth. So Father, we believe and declare you are for us not against us. We thank you and we trust you in these bitter times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise today. You guys are blessed today. Amen.